Uh, all right, uh, warm-up question. Roll your shoulders, roll your eyes, one of the two. Here we go. Uh, this is kind of a question for the veterans, kind of the faith veterans uh, in the crowd. Uh, it's kind of an obvious question. Uh, maybe it will make you think, though. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Small question. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Try. I like that answer. It's a Blue Water veteran right there. You try. It means everything, which is uh, a general and a specific answer because, uh, you know, God requires nothing from you except everything. You got to go where he goes, um, which is very interesting depending on where he goes, right, to follow. Um, is following Jesus different than believing in Jesus? We, we, can, we can all agree on that. Is deciding to follow God different than deciding to believe in God? Oh yeah, there's a big difference. And around Blue Water, probably more than anything else, we explore that difference specifically, right? We don't want to just believe in God. I mean, after all, Satan believes in God. No, we want to we follow God and, and explore the sort of life that that brings. And uh, that's, that's, that's a question, right? It's a question because that life brings a whole bunch of, of interesting stuff. Uh, we say around here that conversion, you know, people talk about converting to Christianity. I, I don't know. That's one of those Christian-y words that I don't like very much, conversion. Uh, so we kind of defined it practically around here. And we say that conversion is not when you have answers to all your questions. We say that conversion is when you've learned to go to Jesus with your questions, right? That you trust God for your answers. Um, here, here's... It's kind of a corollary question. See what you think about this. Can you follow Jesus before you believe in God? Yeah? I see some nodding heads. Oh, it's America. Let's vote. Uh, can, can you follow Jesus before you believe in God? Raise your hand. Do you need to believe in God before you follow Jesus? Yeah, there's some of those as well. And uh, a majority of abstainers. Um, more than once, uh, I have uh, taken non-believers with me on very challenging ministry trips. I don't take a lot of super challenging ministry trips anymore. I don't go to like frontier places and threatening Muslim or communist countries like I used to. Maybe that's a sign of my age, or maybe it's a sign that I've got people for that now, so I just send you, and you do a much better job with more energy. Uh, but more than once, I've, I've taken non-believers with me on trips like that. I was reflecting on some of those instances uh, this week as I uh, was, was mulling over uh, today's Bible passage. And uh, the first thing that strikes me as interesting about what, what I've done there is that non-believers would go with me on ministry trips. And this one guy I was having all of these debates with based on theology and, and morality, and I said to him, well, would you like to come with me on a ministry trip to communist Cuba? Now, what should he have said? Are you nuts? 
uh, but he went. Um, and it was a great time, uh, and I think, you know, both of us would probably point to that trip as his, his conversion moment. He came out of it a different person. I remember having conversations with him on the plane flight home in the middle of the night very loudly. I remember him saying in Ray's voice once, Jordan, explain to me again why Jesus doesn't want me to have sex with every girl in college. People woke up. Um, I think sometimes following Jesus, going where Jesus goes, um, is a great way to, you know, experience Jesus and to believe in him more and more, you know, to go from being a seeker or a questioner uh, to being, you know, a follower, which is a great transition uh, that many of us have made uh, in life. Why? Well, because if you follow after Jesus, even if you have your doubts about God, if you try and go where Jesus goes and go where his people are going and follow the Spirit, even if you have doubts about God, well, you get provoked a lot. I mean, you see a lot of things. At the very least, your heart gets tugged in a lot of different directions, um, and, and, and it, it, it provokes your spirit. I mean, it provokes, it provokes a decision, you know? Um, there's a big difference between being uh, in the audience and in the arena, you know? You could be part of Jesus' audience, figuring out if you approve of what he's doing and what he stands for and what he means, or you can be in the arena with Jesus, his partner, doing what he does. What's the best, best path for discipleship? You want to be in the arena, right? You want to be Jesus' partner, not Jesus' audience. There's, I don't care. You can be the biggest fan of Jesus in the world. It's still not as good as being a partner with Jesus in ministry, right? And I think that difference is a difference that a lot of Blue Waters understand. I mean, that's kind of what we're about. God partners with us to get things done in the world, and we want to be good partners with Christ the person whom the Bible calls our older brother. We're in the middle of this sermon series uh, about stuff that Jesus did. We reached down into the depths of our intellectual creativity and we came up with that title, Stuff Jesus Did. Um, and what we're doing is we're going through one of the Gospels. We're going through the Gospel of Matthew, which is one of the more comprehensive Gospels. And instead of looking at stuff Jesus said or stuff Jesus taught, we're, we're just looking at the things that Jesus did. You know, and it's just a way. It's just a way of investigating uh, the Gospel, the Kingdom. It's a way of investigating Jesus. But the, the idea is that you know, very often deeds speak louder than words, right? And it's in the deeds of Christ, just like it's in the deeds of us. It's what happens in the arena that illuminates truth uh, more than any other thing. Uh, so that's what we're doing. And today uh, we're taking a look at a passage from Matthew chapter 9. And it's about something that Jesus did. Uh, Last week we took a look at some miracles, some healing miracles that Jesus did. Well, that's a very obvious deed. 
Uh, and today we're taking a look at, it's kind of an interaction with someone, but strictly speaking, it's not a teaching. We're taking a look at Jesus calling someone, calling someone to follow him uh, specifically. And that's something that Jesus did a lot. If you read through the Gospels, you see that. Jesus calls people. Well, what does that mean and what goes into it? Uh, and, and that's what we're taking a look at today. The story follows uh, a great healing uh, in which Jesus faced down some religious critics. Just before this story happens, Jesus healed a paralyzed guy. He forgave the guy's sins and then healed him. And some religious leaders were in the area and he said, no, 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 you can't just go around forgiving sins willy-nilly. That's not right. And Jesus said, yeah, I'm going to heal him anyway. And that was a big showdown. That's the, the uh, lead up uh, to this story. And in this story, Jesus is having an interaction with a guy named Matthew who happened to write the gospel. Um, so this is a very important story uh, to Matthew. So for Matthew chapter 9, uh, it's just, uh, just four verses or so, um, the calling of Matthew, and it goes like this. As Jesus went on from there, as he went on from his ministry time, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Matthew was a tax collector. We'll talk more about that in a second. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, evidently Matthew followed Jesus to his own house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, the Pharisees were sort of the religious leaders of the day, they were actually part of a revival movement. They were very zealous, passionate people. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why is he hanging out with the, the bad crowd? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. That's a quote from an Old Testament prophetic book, uh, Hosea, um, where God said to his people, yeah, you're doing all the sacrificial rituals and the observances correctly, but you're not showing mercy as you should. You're not being kind to people who need it. And that's the whole story uh, right there. Um, so Jesus was just kind of walking through town and he passes by uh, a tax collector's booth, sort of a table set up for collecting taxes. This would have been in a kind of a marketplace area where lots of you know, commerce was happening. And Israel at the time was occupied by the Romans, who were the, the global power of the age. And the Romans had invaded the country, sort of taken over. And the Roman way was basically once they conquered all the armies and killed the people they needed to kill, they would let the local populace just sort of live life, provided that they got a big tax cut of, you know, all the commerce and the earnings and the land and the crops and all stuff like that. And that's how Rome supported itself, by extorting money out of local populaces uh, like that in, in, uh, in Israel. Um, so the, the Romans were pretty unpopular among Israel, they're popular, not very popular among the Jews because they were an invading force, right? 
And so if you were a tax collector for the Romans, you were a very unpopular person. Matthew was a Jew, and to, for a Jew to, to collect taxes for the Romans was considered nothing short of, of being a traitor. You know, he was a traitor to his own people. And the way tax collectors made their money is that they collected taxes for the Romans, and then they collected a little bit extra and put in their pocket, and that's how they made their living. So they extorted a little extra money illegally from their own people in order to live large, in order to live the big life. Um, and so they were hated. Uh, they were traitors. They were thieves, and they were enforcers because they would have at their disposal local thugs or sometimes even Roman soldiers, and if you didn't give them enough money, they would have you beaten up. So they were essentially mafia bagmen. They were the guys, you know, in mafia-controlled neighborhoods that would go into a store and start breaking pro um, products until the owner would fork over protection money, right? This, this was them. So very evil people, very disreputable people. And Jesus is walking by one of these guys, the worst of the worst. The phrase was tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors were part of sinners, but they got their own special category. They were that bad, right? And so Jesus is walking by this guy. He is at work. So he is at that moment extorting his own brothers and sisters. And Jesus goes by the table and he says, yo, follow me. And Matthew got up and walked away from it all. And for him to walk away from the tax booth was like, okay, it's a little bit like walking away from the mafia. You can't go back, right? Because this was a racket. This was a violent racket, a violent fellowship. If he's like, yeah, I'm going to walk away from this table of money, and I'm going to go hang out with the rabbi, you have just made an enormous life decision at that point. So it's a really big deal. Um, and the first part of understanding this passage, I want you to just kind of put yourself in Matthew's place for a second. Do a little mental exercise. So uh, you're a nasty person. Just imagine that for a second. So it won't be so hard for many of you. You're just, you're just, you're just a nasty person. You know that you're a bad person, okay? But somehow you've, you've gotten to know Jesus a little bit. You know, I have to believe that this wasn't totally point blank, like Matthew kind of knew Jesus. Maybe Matthew had spoken to Jesus up till now. Jesus had been hanging around, you know, questionable people earlier in the gospel. And Jesus evidently, you know, could identify Matthew, knew him at least sort of peripherally a little bit. So at, at most, you've been in Jesus's audience, right? You've probably been an audience member. You're at work doing terrible things, having people beaten up, right? Stealing uh, a little extra off the top. And then this guy that you've been sort of interested in walks into your workplace. What's your first reaction? This holy man walks into your work, workplace. You're a mafia bag man. How do you feel? Even if you've been hanging around with him a little bit, even if you think he's kind of a generous guy, your reaction is, oh, busted. 
Like, I didn't want him here. This is really awkward. Uh, you know, Rocco, set that man down. The rabbi's here, you know. Um, and it, it's an awkward moment. And then he says, follow me. And this is the entire record of the interaction. Come on, we're leaving this. What do you do? What goes through your head? It's just kind of an epic moment. It's just so cut and dry. Um, I have taught from this passage uh, know, over the years, numerous times. And uh, a couple different times, I've been invited to teach at, at somewhat smaller churches. And I've taught the passage. Uh, I've read it. And Jesus said you know, to Matthew, follow me. And Matthew got up and followed him. Okay, let's go. And then I just walked out of the church. I thought about doing that today, but like, I couldn't think of a place where we could all gather once we left because we're kind of we're a little big for that. But I just walked. I, just, I walked out of the building. And it was an experiment, a snarky experiment. Sometimes I do those. Collective gasp. Yeah. See if people would just follow at an inappropriate moment. Wait a minute, that's not what you do in church. You know, and both times, eventually, the entire congregation followed me outside and sort of gathered under a tree and stuff. Um, and it is inappropriate in church. It's, it's way more inappropriate in an IRS office or, a, you know, or a, a mafia restaurant. There's always an Italian restaurant in a mafia-controlled town. I've been in some. Um, Crazy, right? It's sort of a, a, crazy, a crazy moment. Matthew gets called, but he doesn't just get called. He gets, you would describe this as getting called out, right? I mean, he gets called out. He just likes like, spotlight, man, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Let's go. And he has, I don't know, 10 or 20 seconds to decide what he's going to do with the rest of his life. It's just, I just love the story. Um right in the middle of his work day, right in the middle of, of his sin. Uh, and, and Matthew made a decision at this point, and it wasn't a decision to believe in Jesus. It wasn't a decision to approve of Jesus. It wasn't a decision to be in Jesus' audience. It was obviously a decision to change his life, you know, and to change his life in a permanent fashion. And Matthew didn't let the moment pass which is the extraordinary thing, because Matthew would have been justified in doing so. What should Matthew have said? Matthew would have said, great, I get off work about six. Why don't you come over to my house, you know, and, you know, I'll make some hummus and, uh, you know, we'll sit out on the lanai and, and we'll chat about what you have in mind. You know, it's nothing like that. You just like, boom. Uh, he responded. And he didn't let the moment pass. He didn't delay. He didn't hesitate. He didn't hem and haw. He didn't negotiate. He didn't compromise. He didn't make it more convenient. He just walked. He just decided to move from the audience to the arena right there. And it, and it may be worth noting, of course, that Matthew never went back to his job. We know that he became one of Jesus's uh, big 12 disciples, and he followed Jesus to death. He was killed later in Ethiopia for his faith, for trying to take the gospel to people who did not have it. Like, he followed Jesus all the way, all the way to being murdered uh, for Jesus' name. And, and it begs the question, well, why? Why did he do that? I mean, what, what made a man 
like Matthew do such a thing? Actually, you know, we're never told. We're never told. You read the whole Gospel of Matthew, you do not get an explanation of why he behaved like this. It's a little bit of a mystery, but obviously Matthew had experienced something by observing Jesus that made him feel like he wanted to move from being in Jesus' audience to being in the arena with Jesus, doing what Jesus did, living like Jesus lived. And that is the decision that changes your life. That, frankly, is the only decision that changes your life. Do you want to live with Jesus and do what Jesus did or not? And somehow in this moment, Matthew realized it, and he got off his accolade, and he went. And the rest literally is history. You know, literally changed the world. Matthew took the, the gospel into, into Africa. And, and, I, and I think that this action here in the story, this event sort of typifies what real life is like. I mean, to believe in Jesus, to believe in God, to accept God, that's key, right? That's really important. But, but the real life, when it comes right down to it, where the rubber meets the road, is this. Do you or do you not respond to epic moments in the course of normal days? In the course of your normal day, do you or do you not respond to the call of God? Are you the sort of person that hears Jesus when he walks into your workplace and he says, now, or not? And if you've been following God, you know, ostensibly for a long period of time, and he's never interrupted your workday before, he's never interrupted a normal day, then I'll answer for you. You haven't gotten the hang of following Jesus yet. Not yet. You probably believe in him. Definitely on the way. But there's more. There's more for you. You get to jump into the arena if you want. You know, epic moments in normal days. Now, sometimes epic moments can seem sort of awkward, weird, and, you know, surreal, normal. You know, for Matthew, it was just like, well, see ya. And he just walked out, <laughs> you know. And for observers, maybe it was difficult to tell that that was a moment that would change the world, that that was a moment that would change the life of tens of thousands of people, even during Matthew's lifetime and millions of people since. But it was epic, you know? And that's the sort of person I want to be. That's probably the sort of person that you want to be. Everybody say, epic moment in a normal day. Um, that's life. Based on this story, how would you define the call of Jesus? You know, if, if, this, is, if this is a model for how Jesus calls people, um, you know, what, what, how would you summarize it? How would you characterize it? What would you say? Well, I mean, when Jesus calls people, he, he calls people to follow him, right? He calls people to action. You're never going to find an instance in which Jesus walks into somebody's workplace and says, uh, Let's discuss what you believe. You know, let's make sure that you agree with me. You know, let me test your scriptural knowledge. Jesus never says anything like that. Jesus just says, come on, come on, follow me. And eventually, you know, you'll believe. <laughs> eventually you'll believe. Or you'll just explode. I'm not really sure, but come on, we'll see. It'll be fun. 
um, because we get a few stories in the gospel of people who tried to follow Jesus but didn't make it. You know, because it is an extreme life. But, but that's, that's the arena, right? That's where things are proven and disproven. That's where belief lives or, or doesn't. And you getting the idea? You kind of feeling what I'm saying? Jesus calls people. He calls people. He doesn't argue them into a certain belief set. He just says, let's have an experience together and see how you grow. It's a call to explore. It's a call to figure it out as you go. It's a call into something that you're not really sure about yet. Matthew does not get a job description here. Follow me. Oh, and you should probably know that this is going to end with you being killed. Somehow he forgets to mention that. Follow me. You're going to become one of my 12 guys, and I'm going to send you out in my name. You're going to be an ambassador to all Israel. You're going to write a book of the Bible. Incidentally, there's this thing called the Bible. It's coming. And, you know, and eventually you will go to Africa. He said none of that. He just said, let's come. See what happens. Interesting, yeah? Uh, and if, if this is a model, if this, is, if this typifies the call of Christ, man, it's a very interesting way to change a life, yeah? It's just interesting. Uh, two, uh, second part, real quick, uh, this passage. Uh, we don't know anything about Matthew at this point in the story other than he is a sinner, uh, but we quickly learn something else about Matthew. Matthew parties. Yeah, Matthew parties. What happens is that he follows Jesus and somehow they end up back at Matthew's crib and Matthew's like, oh, we are going to throw down. Let me, call, let me call my posse. And who's Matthew's posse going to be? Well, it's going to be all the other partiers, right? So he calls a bunch of other tax collectors who, again, like, you know, terrible people, hated people. And it says he calls tax collectors and sinners. So there's a variety of reprobates at this party. In other words, great party. Great party, right? This was not some boring party. This was not, you know, a, a Bible study party. Uh, this was a party, right? These guys clearly knew how to do it. You know, it wasn't as the tax collectors. I'm sure they had, I mean, you know, they had, they had the girls, right? Am I right? They had the girls. So, like you walked into this party, you would, not, you would not necessarily feel clean, right? I imagine there, I can't confirm this, but I imagine there was some smoke in the air. Um, and, and they're having a good time. And because Jesus was sort of the honored rabbi of the day, he was getting popular. The Pharisees walk in, you know, and you could just imagine uh, how, what their reaction could be. And these cowards, they don't talk to Jesus. They, they, they walk to Jesus' disciples. They go up to his followers and they say, oh, you know, your master. Why does your master uh, party with, with the sinners? What they say is, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? It's like, you know, what, what the heck? Right? This guy is supposed to be a spiritual leader, and he's partying with these guys. I'm pretty sure I saw some Jägermeister, and it's just freaking me out. If you don't know what that is, God bless you. You're just, you're just a proper sort of person, upright in all regards, and I love you. I love you. You know, I'm glad you're in my church. I need your, I need your help here. I need your help here. Just, just reach out to someone and take hold. Um, 
But uh, yeah, I mean, you could just imagine, you know, the Pharisee's problem. And, and Jesus gets wind of this, you know, and he says, it's not the healthy who need the doctor, but the sick. God desires mercy, not sacrifice, right? We don't want to go through the motions. We don't want to go through the rituals. We don't want to do the things that make us seem clean. Here, here's what you want to do is you want to give mercy, right? And, and how do you give mercy? Well, first you need to find someone who deserves mercy, right? I mean, mercy is, is not getting the bad stuff that you deserve. So if you want to show mercy, you have to go to bad people, right? And then you're like, hey, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. And Jesus was essentially saying to the world of sinners and tax collectors and brutes and thugs and thieves and surely there were prostitutes there. He was basically saying, yeah, don't worry about that. You know, at least not in that way. <laughs> How did Jesus handle sin? Well, he walked up to a sinner. He looked him in the eye and he said, follow me. That's how he handles it. Come on. Let's see if you want to change your life. Do what I do. We'll see how it goes. You know. Um, one of Jesus' uh, famous teachings, you know, we're not going to cover it in this series, but he says, judge not lest you be judged. Right? There's just all these commandments in Jesus' teaching not to judge people. Do the Pharisees judge people when they show up at this party? Does Jesus judge people at this party? I'm sorry, he called them sick, right? It's not the healthy who need the doctor, but the sick. What if I did that in front of Blue Water? Hey, Katie, it's not the healthy who need the doctor, it's the sick. You know, you know what I'm talking about? I mean, the sickos, right? People who just, you know, you don't want to be around, you wear the mask. Oh. I'm sorry, did you hear that? You guys are sick. And I don't mean like sick, I mean like sick. Right? That's you guys. Turn to the person next to you and just, just give them stink eye. Right? You guys are gross. Seriously. Seriously. Um, that, I mean, that's, that's what Jesus says, but I mean, I think, like, obviously, the tax collectors and the sinners and, and the partiers that were with him kind of knew that they were not the approved sort of person, right? So Jesus wasn't saying anything revelatory. It wasn't what Jesus said. It was his manner. So there's a different way to judge people, right? There's judgment like evaluation, like, you guys are sick, and then there's judgment like rejection. You guys are sick, and I can't be around you. You guys are sick, and you got to clean up. You have to agree with me before we can partner in anything. All right, so that's, that's judgment of a different sort. And actually, the Greek word that's used for judgment in this passage uh, is sometimes translated simply as condemnation. You know, don't condemn lest you be condemned. Don't reject lest you be rejected. I mean, you can think. Obviously, a tax collector was a bad person. I don't think I'm, I sin by saying that, right? It's like, no, obviously... Uh, some people are a little more proper than, than other people. So, uh, you know, there's some judgment here, but the attitude uh, is, is incredibly uh, different. Um, here's what I'm thinking, having gone through that passage. Here's what I'm thinking. One, everybody here gets to hang around with Jesus. Everybody here gets to enjoy it. But at a certain point, you need to decide with your life. 
at a certain point, you need to decide whether you move from audience, or you, you move, if you move from audience to arena, right? Are you cheering Jesus on or are you running with Christ, right? Are you a fan or are you an athlete, you know? Are you rooting for the Niners or are you on the field, you know? And, and in this life, you actually get to, you know, be on the field. I'm pushing the metaphor now, but we're all called to play. You know, it's an all play, something that we say around Blue Water all the time. Who are the ministers of Blue Water Mission? You guys. You guys. I'm just, an, I'm just a talking head. I'm just, I'm just a figurehead. Uh, we minister one to another, and more importantly, you know, we minister to the world uh, around us. So you get to be in the audience, but at a certain point, you have to decide with your life, are you in? And Jesus gets to decide when that call comes to you. It may come to you in the middle of a normal day. It may come to you repeatedly. It may come to you once in a major way early on. But when the call comes, man, it can be provocative. Be like, now, change your life. Now, this is it. And you're like, what, now? Now, now. And that's how this thing goes down. So you don't get just called, you know, you get called out. Dude, I'm calling you out in front of everybody. This is the moment. This is definitive. Who are you? And that could just come now. It could come this morning. It could come right where you sit at this moment, surrounded by all of these sick people. Will you hesitate? Because it would be justifiable. Well, I still have a few doubts. Can I talk uh, about a few things with you? I have some questions. Um, that you could hesitate, right? That's totally justifiable. But I don't recommend it. I don't recommend it. I recommend that you, that you follow and that you see where it goes because that's where all the change comes. You might be deep into your relationship with Jesus, but still every once in a while, Jesus will walk into your workplace or into your home and, and say, all right, let's go. And you got to go. That's what the life is. Jesus says, do it now. Come on, we're going to heal somebody together. Come on, we're going to start a conversation with this person. Come on, we're going to go party. You know, and when Jesus says, let's go, you know, you have to go. Um, do you want to be an audience member or do you want to be a disciple, a follower? I think probably some of you are being called out today. You know, you kind of realize, man, I've been in the audience a long time. I've been in the audience a long time. And evidently, that's not the safe place to be. Um, I want to partner with Jesus. I want to be a light to the world. What do I got to do, God? What do I got to do? And now you're talking. You know, maybe you need to make that shift from audience to arena. Uh, the other thing I'd say about this passage is that um, if, if Jesus' life and way of doing things is a model for our life and a way of doing things, uh, then life should be a Matthew party. Uh, we use that phrase around here sometimes, Matthew party. Uh, it's a phrase that comes, you know, directly from this passage. It's like a Matthew party is a party where we try to bring Jesus to people who don't know Jesus. You know, that we try to party with people who maybe don't come to church. 
and we just have an interesting meal with them. You know, maybe we invite some religious people, maybe we invite some super disreputable sinful people, we put them together and we just see what happens, it's very entertaining. Um, we have a saying at Blue Water, a meal plus one interesting question is a kingdom event. And Jesus loved dinner parties. He loved parties and a lot of our great interactions and teachings in the gospel record come from parties. You know, there's the wedding in Cana, right? There's a party with Matthew. There's a party at the home of um, uh, Simon the leper. Um, so uh, presumably Simon the ex-leper, you know, Jesus healed him and then he threw a party at his house and Jesus is there with, uh, there was at least some disreputable women there fawning over Jesus. Jesus partied at the, at the home of Martha, Mary, and their brother Lazarus, who was an ex-dead guy. That was an interesting party. There's the Last Supper, which is another dinner party. I mean, it's, it's like you, you gather people together and you just kind of bring the kingdom. You ask really interesting questions. You provoke. And you show mercy and love and kindness. And it's a fruitful coming together, you know? Where do the ancient Hawaiians do the fish ponds? Well, usually it was a place where fresh water met salt water because that's the fruitful place, right? It's the boundary. So you want to be people of boundary gatherings. You want to sponsor a lot of Matthew parties. Do you do that or do you not do that? Um, and it's a, it's a great question. If you want to be in the arena with Jesus, you have to have Matthew parties. I say that a little bit strongly, but, you know, you have to be making a difference. Um, you have to put yourself in fruitful places. You don't want to just be in the audience. Uh, you want to do something that, that's changeful. Um, it's easy to party with sinners. Come on. Do I hear any amens? Oh, yeah, it's easy to party with sinners. Uh, and, and often more fun. Let's face it. It's hard to party with sinners and make a difference. So, like partying with sinners, and you'll pardon the phrase, um, we don't want to condemn anyone, um, is, is the easy part, but sort of bringing the kingdom, bringing provocation, bringing Jesus to that party um, is, is the challenge, and that's the growth edge that we want to get really good at, and that's why we're looking at stuff that Jesus did so that we can become better at bringing Jesus to places where we need to bring Jesus. I believe I can go to most any party and make a difference. I hate parties. I am pathologically introverted. Um, you know, I don't have but maybe two or three different expressions I can put on my face, you know. I'm, no one's ever accused me of being the life of any party I've ever been at. But I can go to any party and make a difference. Well, why? Well, I've gotten I've gotten good at a few things. I can certainly ask a provocative question, you know. Um, I can certainly have meaningful conversations. Uh, I'm not a good conversationalist, but Jesus taught me to always say the thing behind the thing, to always ask the question behind the question. You know, Jesus cut through this religious debate at the Matthew party. Say, why do I eat with sinners? I don't even want to talk about that. Figure out what this means, religious experts. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Mic drop. You know, it's like the real issue is, how much do you value mercy? You let me know. I'm going back to 
the Scrabble game, because that's probably what they were doing. Yeah, that's it. Um, and I think I've gotten good at that. Of course, I've been doing this longer than most of you. Um, but another thing about me is that I have lots of stories. I have tons and tons of Jesus stories. I've had so many experiences with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. If you've never had one, incidentally, sign up for the Holy Spirit retreat. It's happening. You've got to sign up this week, okay? Sign up right now. Go get a story for Pete's sake. Go get a story. Just start something. Um, but I've just got loads of them. I've just got thousands of stories. I have a story for any occasion, you know, conversations in weird places. There's a time I took an unbelieving kid to communist Cuba. I got six stories from that trip alone. Stories, other countries that I've traveled, air, air flights where I've had talks with the most disreputable people and, and, and sort of brought Jesus into the conversation and brought them to the light. And uh, stories about miracles, healing miracles, and, and prophecies that came true and starting you know, faith communities out of nothing and being salt in the air. I'm an interesting guy. I'm an interest, I'm a weird guy, right? Because you might not want to hear faith stories or Jesus stories, but, but I'm interesting and I'm a provocation and I'm comfortable with being a provocation even if I'm kind of an awkward guy at a party. It's like, well, you know, I just, I just got over that at some point. I don't care, I'm an awkward guy when giving a sermon. Um, but you're cool with that, right? And, and here's what I can say, and we'll just finish here. If you leave the audience and get into the arena, your life becomes interesting. You become something other than boring. You know? You've got stories to tell people. You become a provocateur. <laughs> and some of you don't give yourself half the credit you deserve because there are people in this church with cooler stories than I have. There are people in this church who are better at Matthew parties than I am, for sure, for sure. You know, and you need to get with that. You need to get with that. This is stuff that Jesus did. You know, this is stuff that Jesus did, and I, and I recommend it to you. I recommend an interesting life uh, to you, and I recommend that you listen to the call of Christ when it comes. Let's pray. Oh, what if, what if he comes right now? What if he comes right now and says, all right, come, come on, let's do this. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Man, you might have to decide. I mean, not, not consider, but decide. Anybody tired of just living in constant delay? It's like you believe, but you just feel like uh, you're postponing all the good stuff just for a bit, but it's just turned into a long time. Anybody feel like that? Maybe this is an epic moment for you. 
oh, dang it, I don't know where this is going to go, but I'm going to stand up and follow. Whether you're late in the game or early on, you know, is that you? It's like, oh, I'm going to answer Jesus' call. I'm not going to be a Jesus fan. I'm going to be a Jesus follower. Is that you? Go ahead, stand up if that's you. I'll just pray for you real quick. It would be a good way to start the ministry time. If that's you, it's like, ah, I'm getting out of the audience, into the arena. I'm just going to make a decision. about these moments as they can just go by fast. You got you to gotta be willing to reach out and grab them. Man, let's see where this goes. Let's see where this goes. I want to try and do what Jesus did. I'm going to try and do what Jesus did. Not just kind of study what he said. I'm going to do what he did. You want an interesting life? It's nothing quite like a life with the Lord. Heavenly Father, I pray for the presence of your spirit uh, to make Jesus real to us. And uh, we as followers of you, Lord, just request Uh, humbly this thing uh, that Jesus would be clear to us and that he would lead us onward I pray for those who have stood that uh, Jesus you would manifest in a very real way for them and let them know where you're going the rest of today the rest of this week that in the course of their normal days you would bring epic moments of decision and action that you would make these people um, people of follow through. I know that discipleship is follow through, Lord, and we pray for grace and we pray for mercy. Um, That's what we need, Lord. And in the name of Jesus, that's what we pledge to share with the world. In In the name of Jesus, brothers and sisters, you are forgiven for every little thing. You are forgiven for every big thing. You are objects of mercy from this moment forward. And you are agents of mercy to a world who needs it. In Jesus' name, amen.